to be astonished. It's that time again. Let's get started. From the Clatsop County Historical Society, an adventure in history with Matt Burns and Alana Quila. You should never be allowed to talk to people. Some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And now, with today's adventure, it's Mac and Alana. Good evening and welcome back to an adventure in history. We're so glad you're joining us this evening, or if you're listening on a podcast, we hope you're binge listening and going one by one through all your favorite episodes. That's a lot of Mac and Alana. I know, but... People are binge listening. It's fun. KMUN <laughs> slash podcasts. There's, there's tons of choices there. You can kind of just pick your topic on, there, on an adventure in history or on the KMUN podcast. I mean, that's true. I was about to say, there are an actual lot of podcasts on KMUN. There are, yep. So, or I should say programs that have become For, podcasts. Correct. I don't know the correct terminology. Podcasts. All right. <laughs> that's but the correct rich, But they're not, they're not created as podcasts. Right, but See, it's this being is a, this broadcast is, this is on. A radio it's not show. even being broadcast on an iPod anymore either, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but hey, I still have CDs in my car. <laughs> oh, do, but can you listen to them? Of course. Oh, you, in your car? Yes, of course. Did you buy an extra little thing? No, my car's that old. <laughs> oh, good for you. <laughs> I don't know what I'll do like the next car when there is no CD player. You can ask my dad because there are devices <laughs> that you buy for brand new cars. That you can still play CDs. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll digitize them and figure oh, out there you how, go. how to make my phone talk to the car. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how that happens. If I had my way, I'd be like a Fred Flintstone car. <laughs> like my legs sticking through. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, so let's see. We have some plugs. This, yeah. This Thursday, the return of Thursday Night Talks. It's, it's great. The 19th, the third Thursday of the month. And this one... Uh, I, again, forgot to bring my information. That's I'm terrible. Okay. Uh, but it is about uh, the quarantine station. Mm-hmm. Cross the and river. And it's about uh, uh, bothered by plague. Ooh. Yeah. I am bothered by the plague. We are all bothered by by plague. And it's a great <laughs> so, venue, of course. At Fort George Brewery, the Lovell Showroom. It. Doors open at 6, so you can buy yourself some dinner and a drink. And then the show starts at 7, and we're done by 8. Yeah. And you also don't have to buy anything either. You don't you have could, to buy anything. I mean, that's what's great about the venue. I love it. And it's free. I love that. Yep. Very you nice. Come on in for an entertaining hour. And then uh, the following week on the 27th, our Vampira event. Yes. Connections to Astoria. Yeah. And uh, our curator, Chelsea's put together a walking tour that we'll be able to hand out to people as well. And then, of course, uh, Vampira's niece will be there. So it's going to be, uh, and then we're going to show the worst movie ever made, Plan 9 <laughs> from Outer Space. Oh, fun. <laughs> People mock this movie all the time. Do they? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's one of the worst movies ever made. So it's going to have like a fun, a fun crew. Oh, right? yeah. Like a fun vibe. Yeah. yeah. And I think Vampyra, her her reason for sh- her getting the, the gig in that in that movie was that she screamed really well. Oh. I think. It's key to kind of her character, yeah, I right? Can't, I can't quite remember for sure. And then uh, the 29th, Talking Tombstones 18. I love it. Bury the lead. (laughs) Or bury the headline. No, bury the lead. Bury the lead. I can't remember which one we named it. Oh, I hope it's bury the lead. Because the the historian is turning 150 years old. So our characters all tie in not necessarily to that newspaper, but to newspapers. Okay. 
Meaning they were featured in or... They have some connection. Maybe it's Got another it. newspaper they have a connection to. Yeah. So, But it's going to be fun. It's out at Ocean View. I like that. Uh, that, too, is a free event that we do every year. It's on the uh, 29th, on Sunday, the 29th, the last Sunday in October, and it starts at 1 o'clock. And it takes about an hour and a half, two hours? Uh, yeah, depending you how, I mean, you can half. always leave, but prior to the... Yeah seeing or listening to each character yeah because we have between eight to ten characters and each one tells their story and most of them we tell them to, to shoot for about five or six minutes and yeah. some of them go eight or nine sure and then you got to move from one character to the next so okay yeah allow an hour and a half okay good all right do we have a uh, word that you're bringing back speaking well, of bringing them back from I the do. dead um this one is a noun and it is atakrasia 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 those are people that think that they are uh, like well-to-do, but they're really not. Ooh, this is what happens to me when my kids leave for school. Oh. It's a state of peaceful serenity, calmness, and bliss. <laughs> serenity now. Yes. <laughs> and Mark goes to work, right? <laughs> All of those things have to happen. Wow. <laughs> and then I get to work. All right. Yes. So say Ato- it again. Autocracia. 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 I am in one. a state of autocracia when my kids leave. Is that a it? noun. All right, so the uh, history highlights because we got we got a big show here. Yeah, we don't have a guest, but it's a big show. Good, and we I'll, have each I'll, other. We'll give well always. Uh, so these are things: October sixteenth, thirteen eighty four. Wow, Jadwiga is crowned king of Poland despite being a woman. Ooh, I love that. And she's also known as Hedwig or Hedvig. Okay. So that's why I put that one in just for you. I love that. That's great. I like that she's sworn in as, as the king. Yeah. yeah. Well, Instead of like, oh, you're the queen. Well, some words, remember, did not ha- were not gender associated prior that's, to the 19th century. That's yeah. true. And while that one was for you, this one's just for me because <laughs> I, I can't go a good day without a good beheading. So uh, oh, this I day this. in 1793, Marie Antoinette is yeah. beheaded. I went and even looked so. up more on that, and there's really not that much. There really isn't. Right. No. She's not that spectacular. She really, I, I, you know, I don't quite know why she's become such I, a thing. Her name, maybe, I guess is, no. I don't know. 1859, John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Boy, there was a crazy guy. Even in the photographs, you can tell, just looking at his eyes, that he's, he's, uh, he's a little off. Oh, that's not good. Um, 1901, I love this one. 1901, Booker T. Washington and his family are invited to dine at the White House with Teddy and Edith Roosevelt. Nice. Prompting condemnation from the South. Oh, of course. You can't have the guy and his family over for dinner. Yeah. Really? But I'm glad that Teddy is the one that invited him. Yeah. I love Teddy Roosevelt. All right. Uh, 1934, the Long March in China. Mm-hmm. On uh, October 16th, 1934, the embattled uh, Chinese communists break through nationalist enemy lines and begin an epic flight from their encircled headquarters in southwest China. Known as Changsheng, the Long March, the retreat lasted 368 days. Wow. And covered 6,000 miles, more than the uh, twice the distance from New York to San Francisco. <gasps> and this is where Mao Zedong, um, he had been the leader and then he'd been kind of thrown out. And because he's the guy that leads them successfully from getting eliminated, uh, he becomes the leader again. Oh, okay. And I don't know that a lot of people realize, but China was in this huge communists versus the nationalists, uh, Chiang Kai-shek, before the uh, World War II, before they're invaded by Japan. And then they put their differences aside to fight the Japanese, but as soon as World War II is over, they go right back to fighting again. And, of course, the communists win, and 
and uh, Mao Zedong is the leader. Hmm. Wow. I had I had a page and a half of that, but yeah. I just summed it up really fast. Well, I mean, that's quite a uh, walk or a transition. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean. And he, he kind of just pushes their way through, and they use a lot of people. I right. Think, I think they start with about 60,000 troops, and they oh end gosh. up about 5,000. But they're not eliminated. Yeah. So that's the that's... key, 5,000 to fight again another day. And they go up to the uh, the northwest quadrant of China, and that becomes kind of the communist stronghold. Hmm. All right, uh, let's see. 1946, Nazi war criminals are executed at Nuremberg, Germany. Ten high-ranking Nazi officials are executed by hanging for their crimes against humanity, crimes against peace, and war crimes during World War II. Good. I like when we can all agree that this was outrageous behavior and you should be hanged. Yes. Uh, all right, because you know, a lot of times history is written by the winners. I don't think this was right. winner's justice. I think this was justice. Right. Uh, 1968, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their fists at the 1968 Olympics Yes, in the Black Power Salute. I love that photograph. It's one of the iconic photographs of the 20th century. It is. And it does. It comes back every year, right? Um, it's just powerful. Yeah, powerful yeah. image. But our history holiday today, thing, I think, had the most impact on history and in our lives and everything around us. <laughs> 1923, the Walt Disney Company is formed. Oh. <laughs> That's what, that's the look you were giving me. <laughs> I was hoping you'd argue yes. with me and then I'd be like, no, come on. I guarantee there's some Disney in your house somewhere. Oh, everywhere. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have no doubt of that fact. Yes. In 1923. Yeah. That's, that's not actually Walt Disney Company. I think it's like Walt Disney bro- or, or Walt or Disney Brothers or something yeah, like that. But the technically the company starts. Yeah. Okay. Nope. That, I agree with you. That was a good one. So what I miss? Anything? No, you didn't. It, it felt like a lot, but. It was I mean, a lot. Yeah, but you hit it all. So. I, could, I could have read the whole thing about the uh, the long march, though. Okay. <laughs> it is kind of interesting, and I encourage people, because some of you out there might be just like me and just like American history, but uh, there are interesting things that happen all around the world. Yeah, that's good. All right, and speaking of all around the world, mm-hmm. so we're not doing local history. Right. Although we do have the Doughboy Monument, so okay. know, and we sent people from Clatsop County to World War One, but I saw the... Uh, um, all quiet on the Western Front recently, and then just watching the news and seeing Ukraine. Trench warfare is kind of a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, any warfare is a horrible thing. Yes. I, I wouldn't want to get shot at no matter what I do. But uh, I realized we have this little uh, fun thing that uh, a lady named Erin McCann put together uh, October 15th, 2019, about what was hygiene like for soldiers in World War One trench warfare. Ugh. Had to be so hard. Oh, <laughs> oh it's just, it's horrible. Yeah. You're not going to like this one. Oh, great. <laughs> You, you are not going to enjoy this at all. You're not going to bury the lead there. No. So this is hygiene for soldiers in World War One. The trench warfare, the horrible trench warfare and the gas masks and all that good stuff. Um, so how did World War One soldiers keep clean in the trenches? The answer lies somewhere between with great difficulty and they didn't. Although World War One was known as the Great War, trench hygiene was anything but great. Soldiers in the trenches spent their time in unsanitary conditions, among open latrines, others who went days without bathing or changing their clothes, and the remains of many men who lost their lives. Although World War I hygiene and medical issues were notoriously inadequate, the lessons learned during World War II helped improve conditions and responses to sanitation and medicine for future generations, both on and off the battlefield. And I think we did a show once about things that we learned in World War I. Yes. Yeah, that, that we, we 
It does us. sound, yep. Yeah, although most people know the war had an enormous body count and saw the beginnings of chemical warfare, mm. the answers to everyday issues like how did soldiers go to the toilet in World War One are almost as terrible. Diseases were plentiful, and those who weren't killed directly from ca- combat may have very well perished due to their living conditions. Although World War One cost many their lives, the fighting forced doctors to come up with better ways to treat and prevent illness and led military units to create more effective methods of personal hygiene and sanitation. And starting with, in order to go to the bathroom in the trenches, soldiers designated specific areas to serve as latrines. Soldiers dug pits anywhere from four to six feet in depth in which to relieve themselves. And while these holes were usually used as is, some troops attempted to control the amount of flies attracted to waste by building wood boxes around the pits. The job of digging and then maintaining the latrines was so despised, these chores were often given to soldiers as punishment. The smell was equally as horrifying, and troops dealt with the odor by attempting to cover it with chloride of lime. Unfortunately, choosing when to need the bathroom isn't often possible, especially for those suffering from diarrhea due to contaminated drinking water. Those unable to use the bathroom often made use of buckets or empty food cans to relieve themselves. If, for instance, if you wanted to urinate or otherwise, there was an empty bully beef tin kept on the side of the hole, one British lieutenant recalled, you had to do it in front of all your men and then chuck the contents, but not the tin, over the back of the trench. You should have done that with an English accent. (laughs) (laughs) Soldiers had equipment to sterilize water, but often ignored it out of desperation. Although one of the most common methods used to sterilize water for drinking is boiling, This was impossible for soldiers in the trenches due to their dangerous environment and the equipment needed. The British Army experimented with sterilization equipment and purifying chemicals, such as using chloride of lime. The same stuff they're throwing on the the bathroom. The chemicals made the water taste awful. They tried giving soldiers an uh, acid sodium sulfate tablets to purify an individual amount of water, but the chemicals reacted badly with the aluminum of soldiers' canteens and ended up burning skin and clothing Ugh. if it came into contact with moisture in the air. Yeah, I'm not drinking that. Right. And also if, salty water, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. For the most part, soldiers on the front lines relied on their fellow troops treating water elsewhere and transporting it to those in the trenches at night when it was dark. Unfortunately, militaries often used old gasoline canisters. To, this just gets better and better, doesn't it? Uh, used old gasoline canisters to carry the water, which contaminated this water and made it nearly undrinkable. Nearly. If active fighting or other circumstances stopped a water delivery to the front lines, soldiers in the trenches found themselves completely without water. This led many soldiers to drink questionable water simply because they had no other choice and were desperate. We were so thirsty that we actually drank water out of shell holes, and God knows what a shell hole contains, one soldier recalled. It could hold anything, very often parts of a human body, but we were so thirsty we drank it cold and without boiling it because you couldn't get a fire very often. Oh, the French army uh, released cats and dogs into the trenches to combat the... Rat infestation. It gets better and better. I know. Since trash, food scraps, and corpses attract rats, the trenches were often filled with the rodents. There was no proper system of waste disposal in trench life, soldier George Coppard recalled. Empty tins of all kind were flung away over the top of both sides of the trench. During brief moments of quiet at night, one could hear a continuous rattle of tins moving against each other. The rats were turning them over. 
due to the plentiful amount of food, rats grew large in size. According to one story, a soldier spotted one the size of a cat. They were so big they could eat a wounded man if he couldn't defend himself, a soldier wrote. In addition to being a nuisance, the rats, rats spread disease like typhus and the plague. French troops tried to control the rat problem by bringing terrier dogs into the trenches with them. Catching and slaying rats became something to pass the time during daylight hours. The military offered soldiers a reward for slaying the rodents as incentive to decrease their numbers. According to one report, troops got so into the game, one Army Corps managed to catch 8,000 in one night. One night. Oh my gosh. Uh, other soldiers adopted cats instead of dogs, and it's believed around 500,000 cats helped out in the trenches over the course of World War I. Many of the cats and some of the dogs ended up serving as mascots for troops on the front lines, as well as hunters. And wow. pet therapy, right? <laughs> you would think. You <laughs> yes. Would Since baths and laundries weren't available at the front, the trenches reeked of body odor. Ugh. In order to extend the uh, stamina of their troops, soldiers rotated their time in the trenches. Units set up facilities away from the front lines that soldiers could use to be deloused, launder their clothes, and rest. There were also communal baths to clean themselves of the odor they developed while in the trenches. This helped boost morale and keep many soldiers healthy, but soldiers often had to stay in the trenches for a number of days without bathing or changing their clothes before they were allowed to rest. Due to unwashed bodies and clothes, open latrines, and the odor of nearby corpses and trash, the trenches, and all who spent time in them, smelled awful. Not only did soldiers in the trenches have pungent body odor, their infrequent bathing and laundry caused them to attract and spread lice to their fellow soldiers. As one soldier recalled, At first we had only one kind of lice, but now we have the gray back, the red, the black, and almost every color imaginable. Who knew there were more than one kind of lice? I know. Thank goodness I didn't. Um, Food in the trenches was cold, dirty, and possibly contaminated. To feed their soldiers, Allied troops set up mobile kitchens and transported prepared foods to troops in the front line. Although the British military required their soldiers to consume 3,574 calories a day. That is very precise. (laughs) That is. How is that? Why is that so precise? Because it was in a tin. (laughs) That's why, right. That's what they could fit in it. Yeah. Um, fighting often prevented food from being delivered. The food that did reach the trenches was often not enough. And because it took so long for people to transport food to the trenches, it was cold and often stale. British soldiers regularly received rations of canned corned beef known as bully, hardtack biscuits, and bread that was made out of dried turnip once the wheat ran out. Like the soldiers' rations of sanitized water, the transports often carried meals to the front lines in you got it. Empty gas canisters. <laughs> Too many empty gas canisters around. Yeah. Uh, flies grew large from the abundant cadavers and would often sit on soldiers' food, spreading dirt and disease. These flies made it very difficult to eat as they covered the food one was going to put into one's mouth, a soldier said. They were filthy, fat, dirty flies that used to swarm round the fallen soldiers. Rations could also end up dirty due to the weather and transport conditions, and one soldier remembered receiving a piece of boiled bacon weighing about 16 ounces after the mud had been removed. Wow, just boiled bacon alone. Right. (laughs) After the mud. mud. Yeah, that's... Wow. Uh, Military medical officers told infantry to treat trench foot by rubbing their feet with whale oil. Interesting. Now, I haven't even gone further, but... Whale oil. Where are they getting the whale oil? Right. Anyway, in those gas canisters. Right. (laughs) Um, Battlefields and trenches turned into mud as shell explosions and large amounts of rain destroyed the land. 
The soil was more like a thick slime, one soldier recalled. When walking, one sank several inches in, and owing to the suction, it was difficult to withdraw the feet. Because soldiers stood around on wet ground for days at a time, while in the trenches, the dampness and lack of circulation caused many to develop a condition known as trench foot, which caused pain, swelling, and numbness in feet. If the condition was allowed to continue, amputation was the only cure. When militaries figured out the reason behind the condition, they made efforts to require soldiers to change their socks frequently, move the feet often, and massage them with male oil. oil. Yeah, I know, but like, (laughs) so where do you get the clean socks? (laughs) Where do you... (laughs) That's so tough. Uh, lice infested the trenches and spread disease among the infantry. Due, the, due to the damp, waste-filled condition of the trenches and the soldiers' inability to frequently bathe, pests like fleas and lice flourished. Not only did this make troops itchy and uncomfortable, it also caused several diseases to run rampant through the front lines. Bacteria from infected lice spread typhus, a disease which can cause aches, fever, vomiting, and confusion. Lice bites also caused trench fever, which could result in leg pain, dizziness, and headaches. And although it wasn't deadly, soldiers who contracted trench fever were no longer able to fight and left their armies understaffed. From 1915 to 1918, it's estimated almost 500,000 soldiers in the British, French, and Belgian armies contracted the disease. Controlling flea and lice infestations depends on washing skin, hair, and clothing. But this wasn't an option since soldiers had to wait until they were stationed away from the trenches. Away from the trenches, armies were able to set up disinfestation centers to launder and delouse fabric, as well as to provide spaces for soldiers to bathe and have their hair cut to deter pests. But unfortunately, the lice often survived or troops soon became infected again due to poor trench conditions. Soldiers spent much of their downtime picking off lights, lice, or burning them with candles. We would run hot wax from a candle down the seams of our trousers, our vests, whatever you had to burn the buggers out. Harry Patch remembered. When we got to ruin coming back, they took every stitch of us off, every, every stitch off of us, and gave us a suit of sterilized blue material. And the uniforms they took off, they burned them to get rid of the lice. <laughs> wow. Uh, armies had sanitation teams, but there was often too much for them to clean. Many armies put a team of soldiers on sanitation duty, which included picking up trash since it could attract flies, rats, and help contribute to the unsanitary conditions that spread disease. Units set up areas to dump garbage away from the trenches. Unfortunately, the amount of trash that piled up was nearly unavoidable. Not only did removing trash take time, but it could be a dangerous task if there was active fighting. The trash produced by troops consisted not only of food scraps, empty containers, and spent shell casings, but the corpses of both animals and humans. As it decayed, the trash attracted maggots and fly... Oh, now we're introducing maggots to this equation. Maggots and flies and forced many soldiers to wrap scarves around their faces to keep the pests away from their mouths. Soldiers were issued shaving kits, but they may have been infected with anthrax. (laughs) Who knew? As use of chemical weapons became widespread, more and more soldiers carried and used gas masks. Believing the mask would fit more closely if troops had no facial hair, U.S. forces gave their soldiers shaving kits to carry with them. Known as khaki kits, the set featured a Gillette safety razor with disposable blades. Soldiers or their family members could also buy a fancier version for $5 that came in a metal case with military insignias. That's crazy expensive. Yes, to be had it used in a trench. <laughs> While those fighting in the trenches could shave their free time during their free time and possibly feel a little cleaner, their brushes may actually have been ex- 
exposing them to anthrax. If animals consume the naturally occurring bacteria, which causes anthrax, bacillus anthracis from contaminated soil, it can harbor the bacteria in their hair for years, eventually passing it on to anyone who uses a shaving brush made of improperly disinfected hair. It's believed more than 200 American and British soldiers may have been infected with anthrax while shaving. Wow. And even worse than that, no one brushed their teeth. But those with extremely poor oral health couldn't enlist. It wasn't until World War II that dentists urged soldiers to brush their teeth, so the oral health was understandably poor for those fighting in World War I. Most soldiers paid no attention to the state of their teeth, nor visited dentists, so many already had poor oral hygiene prior to the war. In 1914, many militaries, like the British Expeditionary Force, thought dentists unnecessary. Only when General Douglas Haig developed a horrible toothache did the British military enlist dentists to help those near the front. In many cases, militaries rejected potential soldiers if they had poor oral health, since food supplies to soldiers in the trenches required good teeth to consume. Those with false teeth were also denied from serving, but some soldiers who wanted to leave the front took advantage of this rule. According to one man, one of his fellow soldiers wounded his own mouth. To make more certain his escape from their front line, he had thrown away his false teeth because he knew that men who lost their teeth were sent to base. Oh my goodness. Uh, Dysentery plagued the German army more than any other disease. Lack of sanitation, as we've mentioned, in the trenches and contaminated water caused many cases of dysentery among the troops of many countries. Caused by human feces coming into contact with food, water, or people themselves, the disease causes diarrhea, dehydration, and consequently, many perished. Germany experienced epidemics of dysentery, and at least 155,000 German soldiers spent time in the hospital suffering with the disease. Many believe this count is too low, however, as many soldiers may have skipped going to the hospital or were mistakenly diagnosed with some other condition. Researchers believe that in addition to improper sanitation, dysentery affected German troops more than others due to nutritional deficiencies, lack of vaccines, and the limitations of German military hygienics to prevent the spread of the disease. In contrast, dysentery affected around 6,200 soldiers in the American Expeditionary Force and caused 31 to perish, meaning although conditions were still deplorable, they eventually had better sanitation than the Germans. And also, we weren't there as long. Right. We come in for the last 12 months, last nine months, and then we're... It's what not a great kind of comparison. <laughs> yeah. Uh, communicable disease spread quickly due to close quarters. Sure. Close quarters in the trenches and poor sanitation allowed numerous communicable diseases to spread easily among soldiers. Some developed illnesses due to contact with residents of other countries, while others contracted diseases prior to being deployed and helped spread them. Diseases like mumps, smallpox, uh, meningitis, and tuberculosis traveled through battalions, forcing many to pull back from the front lines or perish. Although many of these conditions have treatments today and militaries did screen their soldiers for some diseases like TB before being deployed, close contact with others and lack of knowledgeable treatment helped illness flourish. At the time, vaccinations for these diseases had yet to be developed, and this made many soldiers vulnerable to infection. As World War I wound down in 1918, the transmission of infectious disease among soldiers likely helped create a bigger widespread disaster, the Great Mm. Influenza Epidemic. Thought to have began in military camps, the Spanish flu quickly spread throughout training camps to infect much of the world, resulting in more losses than those who fought in World War I. Oh my goodness, how interesting. 
Uh, the Canadian military had officers des designated as sanitary personnel. For members of the Canadian military, sanitation held great importance. Knowing unsanitary conditions would lead to disease and passing, they established protocols for dealing with sanitation on the front lines, including designating a sanitary committee and sanitary officer to lead the efforts. According to a 1918 lecture on the subject, the sanitary officer in charge is usually an expert and will supervise the food and water supply, disposal of sewage and refuse, uh, disinfection, and all measures to prevent the spread of infectious disease. The sanitary squad under his control provides the skilled labor required in the performance of these duties and will supervise the work of such labor. So if all this disease is exciting enough, you can come to a lecture this yes. Thursday, not on World War One, but on uh, plague and uh, fighting the disease at the uh, mouth of the Columbia River with the quarantine station. What a great segue. And Love it. Glad we didn't have to fight in World War One. Oh my goodness, yes. How horrible. Just everything about it. <laughs> go wash your hands, everyone. <laughs> yes, go wash your hands. Go make some history. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for An Adventure in History. An Adventure in History is created and produced by the Clatsop County Historical Society and brought to you by KMUN.